Well, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We are in the book of Matthew, and as you may know, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're reading one verse at a time, it seems. Not all the time, but during the Beatitudes we are. And so we're going to be, since it's all so short, we're just going to be reading it three times over. And so, but we're going to do it all together so that it implement, implicates all of us. And so let's all read this together. Here we go. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all may be seated. All right, well, many of you may not know that I am not a true Texan. I know. I know. Um, it's, it's rough, and you may have completely now tuned me out for the rest of this, and you can find a new church. That's okay. Um, but uh, I, I feel like I've been adopted as a Texan. I, I moved here in fifth grade, and so from then on, I still consider myself Texan. I say y'all all the time now, um, which is the best word in the English dictionary. Um, but before then, I moved from Columbus, Ohio, which is where I was born uh, and raised. And so all my extended family is in Columbus, Ohio. That's, that's where I'm from. And when you grow up in Ohio, there is not a division of your loyalties as there is here in Texas. In Texas, you may be a Baylor fan, a Texas fan, an A&M fan, or whatever. In Ohio, every single person is an Ohio State Buckeye. Every single person is an Ohio State Buckeye. My parents went to Ohio University, and they're Ohio State Buckeyes, Right? Like they, that's why they, they refer to it as the Ohio State University. And so um, growing up in this, that this, is, this is just the, the tradition and the culture you grow up in. And my dad would take me to some of the Buckeye games, and we'd have the Buckeye necklaces, the Buckeye chocolate peanut butter thing. That's, whew, that's dangerous. Um, and I would hear the stories of the, the, the beauty of the Ohio State tradition and, and their, their rivalry with this other school next to them, that might be in the national championship tomorrow, Michigan. Uh, okay, um, we're not happy about that. But I would also hear of the stories of the great, the, the, the great Woody Hayes football coach. Does anyone know Woody Hayes off the top of their head? Anyone? Okay, we have a few. Uh, it's kind of, kind of long ago that Woody Hayes was, was uh, the coach. Uh, he I would say would be the modern-day equivalent of, of, of him is Nick Saban. Like, he won all the time. He just won everything, and people were waiting for, them, for him to leave because all he did was win. He won five national championships. I think Nick Saban's won seven. So he was, he's up there. He won it all the time, and so you would always hear these great stories of, of Woody Hayes, and I, I, I heard those stories. And it wasn't until recently that I heard the story of how he lost his job. Has anyone heard that story? Okay, so a few of us have. Um, so this was not told to me as an Ohio State fan. You just hear about the good stuff about Woody Hayes. Um, and so what happens is we're in bowl season right now, and uh, Ohio State is playing Clemson in the Gator Bowl, right? The Gator Bowl. And uh, the Ohio State quarterback gets the ball, is going for a pass, and is, is feeling the pressure, is backing up, and just tries to throw the ball away. And in steps a Clemson linebacker and intercepts the ball, and then he runs over to the Ohio State sideline, 
and he just gets up into the sideline and is just like flexing. He's like, ah, just showboating. And the most, like the, the least expected thing happens. I don't know what you might be thinking happens right now, but that's probably different than what happens. Here's what happens. The, the Clemson linebacker is, is showboating with his hands raised, and the head coach of the Ohio State University, just picture Nick Saban doing this, balls up his fists and throat punches the Clemson linebacker right in the throat. <laughs> and then you would think, that's out of control. He then pulls up his other fist and goes for another. And tries to hit him in the helmet, which is not a wise choice with your fist. But his own team holds him back. Can you imagine on live television something like this happening? And, and appropriately so, the very next day, Woody Hayes loses his job, is fired. Um, and it's just like, yeah, you, you, you can't punch 18-year-olds. Uh, that's not one of the things we, we accept here. Um, rightfully so. However, for the next three or four weeks, this is the only story, story that the media was talking about. And they were merciless with this Woody Hayes. This once revered coach has now been brought low, has now been publicly humiliated. He humiliates himself, is just embarrassed, and he is in a deep, dark place of shame. Can you ever imagine being in that type of place before? And just such utter shame that you don't want to step out of your own house, where the whole world is talking about your worst action? That's where he was at. And there was this other coach, you may have heard of him, he was a couple hours north up in Dallas, he was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, a guy named Tom Landry. Tom Landry was invited to come speak at this banquet, uh, this prestigious banquet in New York City, and normally he gets to invite one guest, and he usually invites his wife to this. But this one time, he invited Woody Hayes. And to the shock of the world, everyone's like, don't, why would you invite Woody Hayes, like, don't sully your reputation, like, for him, for that dog, for that scoundrel, you are ruining it. You're ruining your own aura. And he said, I don't care. And he invites Woody Hayes to this event, to this banquet. And in this one act of mercy, brings Hayes out of his shame. And when people asked him later, why did you do that? Why did you invite this, this dog to this prestigious banquet and bring your own name down? And his answer was this. I figured that since everybody else was beating up on him, he needed somebody to put an arm around him and tell him that he still loved him. Can you imagine be in that type of place where everyone thinks you're trash and you have one person you at least expect to publicly put their arm around you and say, I still love you, man. Man, that brings life. That's what mercy does. 
Now, some of us are having a hard time with this story because we're also thinking, yeah, but shouldn't this coach reap the consequences of his actions? Like, shouldn't there be some type of justice, like, out of love for this player who got punched? Like, this, if you have a hard time with that story, let me just say, welcome to the club. Because this is what mercy is like. Mercy is not easy. It's not just this great idea, oh, I'd love to be a merciful person. Mercy is never easy. It goes into these hard situations. You're like, can you really offer them mercy? And that's when we know it's true mercy. Landry loved him out of his shame. Mercy is never easy. In fact, it's almost unnatural. Someone might say it's supernatural, which is really what we're talking about with these Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not these eight statements of just what it means to be a nice Christian. This isn't just like what it means to be nice. That's not the Beatitudes. It's in fact, these are eight ways to be supernatural. This is what it means to be a Christian, and it's not normal. The normal thing is to, is to shame this person, to, to ignore them, to treat them like trash. But the Beatitudes tell us to be a Christian means something different than the rest of the world. And so let me just do a quick review if you've not been with us for a little bit. Uh, we, we've jumped into Beatitudes. It's, uh, well, we're, we're doing the whole Sermon on the Mount, but right now we're in the, the Beatitudes. And it's these eight statements of what it means to be happy, uh, what it means to, to live the good life, uh, what it means to be lucky. And these eight statements are the first one, to be poor in spirit. And now when we talk about poor in spirit, it's not just the spiritually poor. It's those who, it's lucky are those who live in solidarity with the physical poor. Lucky are you if you actually are around the poor and know them and know their, their hurts and their pains. Um, two, the, lucky are you for those who mourn, not those who fake it, not those who try to fix it, but those who actually sit in the pains of this world. Uh, lucky are you who are meek. The uh, way, way we talked about this, the way Tom talked about this was, was holding back when you have every right to hit back, right? And then last week, Malcolm talked about Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, and we t he talked about how bad do you actually want righteousness? How bad do you actually want justice here on this earth that you would hunger for it? And so this is the blessed life. This is the happy life and not what we think of when we think of blessed. We think of all of the Instagram blessed. But here's what Jesus tells us is what is the blessed life. And for today, what is the blessed life? It means blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So the outline, the path that we're going to look at for today's sermon, we're going to do it this way. We're going to talk about mercy, what it is, why it matters, and how to get it. What it is, why it matters, and how to get it. And so what it is, what is mercy? Um, I think when I think of mercy, sadly, um, but the first thought that comes up is what me and my brothers used to play, this game called Mercy. Do you know this game? It's a rough game. Um, the game of mercy goes like this. You put your hands together with, with the opposite person, and so you go like this, and then you proceed to try to break each other's fingers until one person yelps, mercy. <laughs> um, not the best image when you think of when you're trying to think theologically about mercy, and yet, I think it's actually a pretty gar good, good, what was I saying? A pretty good description of what it means, uh, of what mercy actually is. Because mercy is compassion. 
Mercy, mercy is pity. And if you're going, mercy, mercy, you're, 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 you're asking for compassion. <laughs> you're asking for, for pity, right? Um, this is what I think mercy actually refers to um, when we talk about mercy. I think for many times, I, I used to think of mercy as this synonym for grace. You guys may be thinking this too. Like grace and mercy. When Paul writes his letters, grace and mercy, grace and mercy. And you think they're kind of the same thing, uh, that they are on, on par with one another. Or maybe you've heard it said, and possibly from my mouth in this very pulpit, um, that grace is, is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Have you heard that before? I've said that before. So, um, But as I've went more deeper into mercy this past week, I'm starting to see that wherever mercy is used in the scriptures, it's not really used in the theological sense. It's actually referring to having compassion on those in need. And so, yes, we can maybe use those ways of distinguished grace and mercy, but I don't know if that's as helpful if we're trying to say, what does scriptures tell us about mercy? Because, I mean, just look at these passages. Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman cries out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew 17, 15, Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. Matthew 20, 30, two blind men call out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And so mercy is compassion for those in need. So that's what, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have compassion for those in need, for they will be shown mercy. I think Richard Lenski helpfully distinguishes mercy from grace in this way. He says, the noun, Elias, mercy, always deals with what we see of pain, misery, and distress, the results of sin. And charis, or grace, always deals with the sin and guilt itself. The one extends relief, the other pardon. The one cures, heals, and helps, the other cleanses and reinstates. And so to, to summarize that, that, that grace is dealing with sin, and, and, and mercy is primarily dealing with the misery of that sin. Grace is dealing with, with uh, sin as a whole, and mercy is dealing with the consequences, the, the, the shrapnel of that sin. Does that make sense? And so if you just want, that's, I think, a helpful way to distinguish it, but if you just want a definition to write down in your bulletin or whatnot, here's a definition of mercy. Mercy is compassion plus action. Compassion plus action. Now let's talk about that because you can be compassionate and not merciful. You can be all action and not merciful. It's compassion plus action. And so if, if you are just compassion and have no action, this is the, this is the person who, who feels a way about someone. You're like, oh, man, I, I really hate that all these people are struggling. What, what could you do? Right? Uh, oh, I really, that, really, that really pains me to hear about your pain over there. But that sucks. Like that, this is someone who feels compassion uh, but doesn't do anything about it, or someone who's tolerant, or someone who's nice, that's, that's not mercy. It's compassion plus action. However, if all you are is all action and no compassion, that's not mercy either. If all it is is just like, I'm just going to stand up and call out all the wrongs of people around me self-righteously, then I am not merciful in that sense either. I, I, I'm going towards action, but I'm not having any compassion 
Or you can think maybe this is a person who's doing something paternalistically, who, who is doing action, but for people who they, they think is inferior to them, and there's, there's zero compassion of realizing uh, there but by the grace of God go I, right? And so it has to be compassion plus action to, I think, actually be mercy. Mercy is compassion and action. I think the best example of mercy is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Y'all know that one? It's one of the best, in, one of the best parables in the Bible. Um, I think it's a little long, but I think it deserves to be read in its entirety. So let me, let me read this. It should be up here on the screens for y'all. Uh, this, is, this is Jesus answering a question when someone comes to him and is like, you know, someone wanted to justify themselves and it's saying, who is my neighbor? Who, who, do I, who should I love? Um, in reply, verse 30, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you could say, why was he doing that? That's a terrible idea to go down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This stupid man, why did he pick this thing? It's on him for making this, this decision, okay? Well, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. How many of us have passed by on the other side? So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So the two religious people are ignoring this man. But a Samaritan, the contrast here, the Samaritan, someone who is ethnically opposed to this group, You can think Israel and Palestine. There is no way these two should be interacting. No way these two should be showing love and compassion for one another. But the Samaritan does. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him or took compassion on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Mercy is compassion plus action. The priest and Levite might have had compassion on this person and said, oh, I I hate that you got beat up. But mercy is actually showing action and and showing real love and bandaging the wounds and bringing this person to the inn and paying their expenses. It's compassion plus action. But one more thing I want you to see, even from this, this parable about mercy, is that mercy interrupts. Think about that, that mercy interrupts. That you, are you willing to be interrupted to care for somebody? That, that this, this Samaritan could have said, I got places to go, I've got things to do. The Samaritan, the merciful, are willing to be interrupted. Jesus, 
probably the best picture of someone being willing to be interrupted because everywhere he went, people kept asking for him to heal them, to interrupt his plans, and he stops whatever he's doing and heals them. What about you? Are you willing to be interrupted? This is an area I need to repent of. I constantly have my dreams, my goals, my to-do list for the day, and if something interrupts that, Ooh, it's frustrating. <laughs> and you think, but you're a pastor. <laughs> yes, I have to confess. <laughs> How about you? Is that, is that struggle? Do you struggle with that? If a brother and sister in need reaches out and says, Ugh, I need you. And your first thought is, that just ruined my weekend plans. Mercy is, mercy interrupts. It's being willing at your home. It's being willing to say, I'll put whatever I'm doing down and come to you. At your work, you might be in the zone at work and someone says, hey, are you frustrated when you're interrupted? Or are you willing to, to say, I care for you. I want to help you. Do people get the sense that they're a bother to you? that they can't ask from you. I think mercy has to interrupt, and we have to put off that, the vibe that we want to be interrupted because we love and care, you, care for you so much. So only we've seen, what, we've seen what it is, but now let's talk about why it matters. Let's go to verse 7 again. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they will be shown mercy. So why does it matter? Why does, merciful be, why does be merciful matter? For they will be shown mercy. And so God is saying that the only way to receive mercy is for you to show mercy. It seems like that matters. Uh, but, I mean, can God really mean that? I mean, like, can God really mean that I'm only forgiven if I forgive others? He kind of says that exact same thing in a couple chapters later in chapter 6. Verse 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so I ask the question again, can God really mean that I'm only forgiven if I forgive others? Let's say yes and no. Let's start with a no, because that goes against what Jesus just said here, real quick. Uh, God is not a cosmic vending machine to where you put the quarter in, you hit F7, and then you get forgiveness. And you say, like, okay, I forgive you for this. Good. I am now in the clear. I am now a forgiven human being. So you can't ever force God's hand. You're not going to force God to do this. That's not what it's talking about. Also, um, if, if we were judged solely on whether we've forgiven someone or people, then I would say most of us, all of us, would not be standing there on the day of judgment in a good spot. In fact, I think it would also go against what most of the New Testament describes as this theology of grace, this doctrine of grace, that I'm, I, I'm actually only forgiven because of the, the love and 
grace of Christ. That if I, if I look at the New Testament, it's not the people who are doing these works that, that earn the mercy. It's that God gives the mercy first and foremost. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8, for while we were still, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what my favorite word in that verse is? Is it, is it love? Is it died? It's while. While we were still sinners. While we were still actively sinning against God, he demonstrates his love for us in this, that he dies for us. Like while we were being as ugly as Woody Hayes was to that player, Jesus puts his arm around us. He says, I love you, man. I love you, daughter. You are forgiven. And when you know that type of mercy, that does change you. But it begins with the love and mercy of Christ, not with what I've done. And so then what, what could Jesus mean? He has given us compassion plus action. And what Jesus means is this, that I'm only truly forgiven when I realize how truly helpless I was, except for the mercy of God. I'm only truly forgiven when I realize that it's only grace and it's only mercy that, that, I'm, that God is even putting his arm around me. And when I do really realize that, when the mercy sinks deep into my soul, then I am changed. Then it sprouts fruit. We proclaim that we have received forgiveness by whether we are forgiving others or not. You are proclaiming whether you actually re receive the forgiveness by whether you forgive your brother or sister. Does that make sense? And so if I've received mercy, then I will give mercy. How could I not? If I've been forgiven, then of course I'm going to forgive. How could I not? And showing mercy is one thing. So showing mercy one time or another is one thing. But that's not what this passage is. It says, blessed are the merciful. It's a posture of mercy. It's someone who longs to be merciful at all times. Blessed are the merciful. And so this is a posture before it's a practice. And so this is why the passage about the, the merciless servant the merciless servant is so odd. You also know that story, the, the story of the merciless servant. This is, this is where uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone? And then Peter's trying to look super spiritual and he says, seven times? <laughs> and all this, he's like, expect the disciples to be like, oh, you did seven? <laughs> so spiritual, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, Peter just put it out there. It's a holy number, seven times. I think he's probably expecting a pat on the back from Jesus, like, ah, my best disciple. Um, and Jesus says, no. <laughs> How many times should you forgive? Seven times? And, and Jesus says, not seven, but 77. Or some translations say 70 times seven times. Can you imagine Peter's... <laughs> I was feeling good. I mean, just also, just in your own life, you've forgiven someone. Have you ever forgiven someone even seven times before for the same thing? It's hard to forgive them after that. 
Like, they don't deserve it after that, right? Mm. This, is, this is the grace and mercy that Jesus is trying to show us. And, so, and, then, and then Jesus follows that up with this parable, this story of the merciless servant. And it talks about this, this, uh, this wicked, wicked servant who, who goes into debt, who goes into so much debt, it says he, he goes into 10,000 talents worth of debt, which in our modern day translates to $5 billion. $5 billion you owe the king. A, an amount so much that you will never pay it back. You, you would never in this life find a way to pay that back. And so he, he goes to the king and the king says, pay up. And this servant says, have mercy on me. Have mercy. I cannot pay it. And to the surprise of everyone, the king has, mer- has mercy on this servant. Wipes the five million or five billion debt clean. And so now this servant goes off on his way, freed of five billion dollars worth of debt, and then finds out another servant of, of his owes him two denarii. How much is it? Where is it? A hundred denarii. Sorry. That servant owes him a hundred denarii, which translates into $10,000. So he's just been forgiven $5 billion, and he finds out someone owes him 10000 And in this moment, you think, oh, of course. He's going to be like, I was forgiven that. I'll forgive you of this. And that's not what happens. The servant goes to the person who owes him $10,000 and chokes him and says, give me my money. Give it back to me, or I will throw you into jail. And this person says, have mercy. Be patient with me. I will pay it back. And he says, give it to me now, or I will throw you into jail. And what does he do? He throws him into jail. And the king and you and I are in the spot of going, are you kidding? Do you know how much you were just forgiven? And what's really sad about this story is it's not a story about these two people. It's a story about you and me. Do I really know how much I've been forgiven? Do I? And yet I go to people and I hold on and say, are you kidding? You owe me. Do I really understand how much I've been forgiven? How big of a debt that Christ has canceled on my behalf? If I did, I would not be holding your wrongs against you. If I did, I would not be saying, you owe me. Pay up. And so if I am not merciful, what this text is telling me is that there's only one explanation. That I've never understood the grace and mercy of Christ. And I am now outside of forgiveness. I am now outside of union with Christ and the most to be pitied. This is why this matters that much. Do I feel pity and compassion on sinners who offend me? How much have you been forgiven? Lastly, I know we're going long. 
This is what it is, why it matters, but lastly, how to get it. And this last point is the shortest point, good news for you, um, but it's the most important. How do you get this type of mercy? If you're saying, I, I, I want it, I don't want to be the one on the outside of the compassion and mercy of Christ, I want it, what do I need to do? Do I just show mercy to people? Do I, just, do I just be kind and be compassionate? And I would say, no. You don't get mercy by just sucking it up and trying to just be merciful this one time. And because it's not blessed are the merciful, one who do one act of mercy, it's the merciful. It's the posture. Blessed are the merciful. And so you can't just do it one time and think you are good. No, that is the outcome of knowing mercy is the outcome of knowing mercy because the only way to be merciful is to actually know mercy. The only way to to be merciful is to know mercy and Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. Jesus Christ is mercy embodied. And so do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, you will be merciful. If you know how much you've been loved and forgiven and shown mercy, you will be merciful. And so do you know Jesus? And it's not as if Jesus is separate from the Father and that Jesus is merciful and the Father is, is really going begrudgingly, ah, I was, I was hoping to get them. That's not, that's not the case either. I mean, Micah, Micah 7.18 says this, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. We have a God who delights to show mercy. Like, he's not begrudgingly saying, I'll forgive you this last time. He delights to show mercy. That's the God you want to run to. That's the God you want to run back to. That's the one that the the prodigal son runs back to. And, And the prodigal father throws down his coat, runs out, and gives him the bear hug. But I worry many of us would stop the prodigal son from ever coming back to the father and say, do you know what you did to him? Don't you ever come back here again. Do we know mercy? Do we know it deep into our souls that we're willing to give it out liberally? I think the best picture of mercy happens when Jesus is on the cross and one of his first words he says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Can you imagine? Like, while people are actively killing you, and instead of saying, I'm going to smite you in this moment, Jesus says, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Could you say that to someone who is sinning against you? They don't know what they're doing. That is the compassion of Jesus in action. He's, he sees that you are enslaved to your sin. He has the compassion, but he's willing to do something about it, and he dies for them. That is the mercy of Christ. Do you know it? And you say, well, that type of mercy, I feel like, you know, if we're that merciful to people, we're, I mean, that's just going to let people off the hook. That's going to let people take advantage of you. And I'd say, maybe. They took advantage of Jesus I would much rather be wronged, be defrauded, be taken advantage of, and be told that I'm too merciful 
than, than, be, than for being too stingy or too bitter and trying to hold everyone's wrongs against them. Like mercy upon mercy upon mercy that there's, they're new every morning, thank the Lord. And so mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is interrupted. Let's make space to be interrupted this week. And let's get to know mercy because Jesus Christ is the mercy of Christ, is the mercy of God. And as we know that mercy, God will say, blessed are you, happy are you, for you will be shown mercy. And we get to feel it and we get to sense it and we get to embrace it all of our lives. Let me pray for us.